Ron and Anian. How great is this? We get to spend another hour together, you and I talking about cars and learning from each other and exchanging some ideas with regards to the proper ways to repair these these rolling computers that we ultimately call cars. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. You know, we all want everything for free, and we all want it cheap. I mean, that's human nature. But the reality is that in order for a business to survive, they have to charge you X amount of dollars. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Let's talk. Ronnie Nini and the Car Doctor at your service. 855-560-9900 is the Car Doctor 24-7 hotline. 855-560-9900. Here to talk to you about your automobile and solve your problem for you, whatever that might be. More information about this radio show, cardoctorshow.com. Various places to podcast it. Tune in, iHeart, iTunes.com. Things you probably know about. You may not know about Google Play. We're also out on Google Play now. And uh, we're talking to you via podcast there as well. If you need me during the week, it's Ron at CarDoctorShow.com. How much should a battery be? You you wonder. You know, I had a scenario this week, price of a battery, it's what I kept thinking in my head, but it was the ever since syndrome. Ever since you fixed the check engine light, three days later, the car developed a, a, a dead battery. And it's the technology. I think it's technology that skews people. You, me, maybe not with cars, but me with other things in the way that we think and approach certain scenarios. It was a 2000 Toyota Avalon. As a matter of fact, I think I talked about this last week. This was the car that we did and had the conversation about calculated load. And there's a YouTube video out. If you go out to YouTube and look up the Car Doctor channel, there's a video out there talking about calculated load and the difference between the bad mass airflow sensor at 60-something percent versus the new mass airflow sensor at 90 3 or 94%, whatever the number was, showing you the difference in the printouts. And a couple of days after that car was serviced, I got a phone call from the customer, and they stopped by. The battery died out of the clear blue. It was good for three, four days, five days, I think it was. And then they went out to turn the key and just dead. And they jump-started it, and it was okay for another day or two, and then dead again. And not saying, he wasn't saying that it was something we did, you know, I don't want to say that it's something you did, but you could see he was uncomfortable about it. And I guess rightfully so. Because if you don't have a relationship with the mechanic, how do you know what they are about? So I went through and I diagnosed it. And I took out my voltmeter, my amp meter, my clamps, and I measured starter draw. I measured the charging system rate to make sure the alternator was charging. Because, hey, it's a 15, 16-year-old car with 150,000 miles on it. Anything could drop dead at any time. Went through and did a draw test. Now, a draw test on any car today takes time. It's a matter of hooking up a meter in a in correct series so that you can measure to see is there any current flow from the vehicle 
to see if there's a draw that's killing the battery. A draw test can take anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours on some cars. It's very tedious. The more electronics, the longer it's going to take. Modules have to go to sleep. Things have to sign off and drop off the network. It's not one, two, three. By the time we were done, the charge to go through and do a draw test, a charging system test, a starter draw test, and clean and coat the terminals and replace the battery, the charge was $40. If you calculate that off of a $100 an hour labor rate, that's a little less than a half hour. Do you think it took a little less than a half hour? It actually took longer than a half hour. But you try and standardize things to make people feel comfortable on some things. America is not ready to pay for a $300 battery. Not yet. This particular customer had a problem paying. Not a real problem, but he was concerned. He was shocked, he said, paying for the $190 battery because that's what it turned out being, $40 labor plus tax plus $130 for a six-year battery. I'm wondering, and this is the reason for this conversation, what are you willing to pay for the price of a battery? Have certain major chain stores convinced you that all batteries are supposed to be between $60 and $80? You know what? Batteries can be between $60 and $80. They're junk. You're going to change them every two to three years. The battery that came out of this car was a battery from a national roadside towing service. Those, the beginning of their name begins with A and the end of their name begins with A. You can put the A in the middle and you know who I'm talking about. And it really kind of came back to, we've had conversation here, you yourself, listeners have called up complaining about those particular batteries, saying that they don't seem to meet, they seem to die very shortly, three, two, three years. Yeah, they do. You get what you pay for. In a couple of years, 2012s are going to start to need batteries, probably very soon, as a matter of fact. Newer cars are going to need batteries. Batteries that, when they're replaced, they're going to have to be registered. In other words, the days of drop in a battery and go are gone. You're going to have to actually put a battery in a vehicle, do a draw test. A draw test, waiting for things to go to sleep and drop off the network, can take anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours today. It could take up to four hours on later model cars with certain computers looking for specific voltages or specific current. And then you're going to have to register the battery. Registering the battery means... You're going to have to go in with a scan tool, acknowledge that you did a battery change, let it take some specific readings so that it knows the battery was changed. It knows the resistance values of the battery, sort of baseline the battery. So the charging system, which is computer controlled and has been for quite some time, can now properly keep the vehicle running and charge the battery at the same time. What's that going to cost? I can't imagine a repair shop pulling a scan tool out for less than $50. They'd be crazy if they did, simply because the average scan tool now is three to four grand, and that's for something non-dealer level. The dealer level stuff is comparable in price, but the software updates are just so expensive. Are you ready for a $300 battery? Are you? And what are you going to do when that battery that you don't want to pay for that you don't buy the good one for drops dead in the middle of nowhere and you have to get it repaired and they don't have the technology, the scan tools. Automobiles are not easy and they're not getting any easier. I am watching the industry change 
in front of my eyes. I never thought I'd live to see this day. I didn't think it would happen in my lifetime, but I'm seeing auto repair physically change. And it's different for me. All right. If you're taking this show, if you're listening to the show in Florida or in California or in the Midwest, it's different for you. If you're a repair, if you are a technician in a repair shop and you're fixing cars somewhere else other than Waldwick, New Jersey, I know it's different. It just is. Your concerns are different than mine. Your issues are different than mine. The littlest Anadian got into an accident this week. Well, actually, it wasn't her fault. Somebody somebody rear-ended her car at 40 miles an hour and banged up the back of the escape. So she had to take it into the Ford dealer to get it repaired. She has to get an estimate and go through all the, you know, the, the, the steps and the processes. Jeff from the body shop called me, and he wrote the estimate. And, you know, Josh, the littlest Indian's boyfriend, went in and said, hey, listen, you got to call the dad unit. He wants to know what's going on. You know, this is this is a car guy. And we had a great conversation, Jeff and I did. And it's a Ford dealer out in Pittsburgh, and I'm sorry I forgot the name. I'll have to dig it up so we give them their proper due, but maybe we'll wait until they fix the car and see how they do in the first place. But it was an interesting conversation because he sees some of what I talk about in terms of it's hard to find help, people that are interested in fixing cars. But it's also he was shocked to hear that in Bergen County, New Jersey, if the car needs four brakes, four tires, they're going to get rid of the car. He said, that's crazy. I said, yeah, but that's what goes on because leasing is such a big factor in my area, in my region of auto repair. Go back to the battery. $200 battery, call it what it is. Has a hard time paying for that. Doesn't understand why it should be so much. I told Jeff this story. He was shocked. He said, no, that can't be. I said, yeah. He says, listen, he goes, out here, he says, people will put three, $4,000 a year sometimes in a car to keep it going because they know what it takes to replace it. Yep. Like I always say, auto repair is a national phenomenon with regional issues. And I guess the point of this opening monologue and conversation is, what are you ready for? Do you have it clear cut in your mind? Do you know what you're buying when you go into a repair shop? Or do you look at the price of something, and if you've seen a national chain advertise it for eighty nine ninety five, do you just assume that it should be eighty nine ninety five everywhere? Or are you smart enough to realize that the place doing it for eighty nine ninety five when everybody else is doing it for one hundred and fifty or two hundred is somehow pulling the wool over your eyes? And well, you get what you pay for. But that's where this conversation started, didn't it? Hello and welcome, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. Let's pull over and take a pause. When we come back, we're going to kick the garage doors open. So stay tuned. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Amy in the car, Doctor. Thanks for joining me this hour at 855-560-9900. Let's pull over and let's kick the garage doors open. I guess we can't do that. Can we pull over and kick the garage? We can do anything we want. We're the car, Doctor. Let's go say hello to Carl up there, and I believe that's Maine, with some questions about AC service. Carl, welcome to the car, Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I have a 98 Avalon, and I'm starting to think of getting an AC service done, and I was just was wondering what kind of work is involved to do it properly. Okay. 
Um, how's the AC working for you right now, Carl? Is it blowing cold? I'm in the mid forties in All the vent. Right. So it's and it's probably never been serviced. Correct. All right. You know, there's 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 two schools of thoughts on this. The first one is if it ain't broke, don't fix it, which isn't the one I subscribe to when it comes to air conditioning. And the the second one, which is the one I believe in because it's the more scientific of the two, is that an air conditioning system should be serviced every three to four years. And here's why. As a natural byproduct of the way it functions, an AC system builds up moisture, both outside on the on the lines and on the inside. It forms inside the desiccant chamber, and it'll form inside the lines, and it creates a corrosive acid and a corrosive gas that can damage the inside of the air conditioning system components. Now, you can also have the argument with me, and it's not an argument, but you can also say to me, hey, Ron, my Toyota's a 98, you said? Yes. So it's, what? 12 years old, um, you know, we're starting to see 98, 2008. No, what am I saying? It's older than that. My gosh, it's uh, 22 years old, right? How come I can't do math all of a sudden? Um, but it, it's 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 got some miles on it, and it's still working. You're lucky. You got one of the good ones. But most AC systems will benefit from a service every three, four years, and by that I mean hooking up, recovering refrigerant, Measuring what comes out, measuring how much oil comes out, so you know how much oil to add back into the system, and then pulling a vacuum. And here's where the AC system gets its biggest benefit. Pulling the vacuum boils off the impurities and the, and the, and the contaminant that will damage the system when it's not serviced. Now, that 98 is a little bit of a better animal. A newer vehicle, Carl? Yeah. The AC condenser has passages in it that in some vehicles are smaller than the diameter of a pin. Wow. All right? So it's so tiny. It's such a fine mesh of honeycomb that, A, there's no way to clean it. There's just no way to flush it anymore. And, B, if the system isn't serviced properly it becomes a real problem in terms of efficiency. The other issue is the volume of refrigerant has changed so much since 1998. Your car probably has, if I, I'm going to guess and say it's roughly a pound and a half to a two-pound system. A lot, mm-hmm. a lot of vehicles today have a system with less than a pound of refrigerant. Wow. So here's, here's the rub. If a two-pound system loses two ounces, the proportion of how much that is to the total volume versus the one-pound system losing two ounces, all of a sudden that two ounces in the one-pound system counts for a lot more in terms of refrigerant and cooling capacity, right? Yes. So it becomes a much more critical number. And that smaller system that loses that same two ounces now has to work even harder, and in some cases will overwork and shorten the life of the components. Bottom line. I'm always a bottom line guy. I think you service air conditioning systems every three to four years, and part of that service is an evacuation, a measurement of oil, and then a recharge to proper level. I've had air conditioning systems, and I've had this argument with instructors and I, I get somewhere with some of them. I've had AC systems that literally will show me correct pressures but provide inadequate cooling. 
it's it's gotten down to on some vehicles that it seems that the volume of refrigerant in them is so small that the only way to determine what's actually in there instead of looking at pressure is to recover, measure, evacuate, recharge. Mm-hmm. B- bottom line. Well, that sounds good because uh, I have a local guy and he seems to know what he's talking about, so uh, I think I'll have him do the whole service. And and it's 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 a real good idea, and especially when you stop to consider, you know, the hundred and fifty dollars you spend today to get it serviced, or whatever that number is, versus replacing a compressor. Do you ever notice how air conditioning repairs are so expensive? And I think the reason for that is because manufacturers know. And again, this is my black helicopter conspiracy. I think manufacturers know that. You know, people are funny. We're, we're a funny bunch, human beings, we are. We'll drive around in some cases with grinding brakes, bald tires, and headlights that are out. But if the air conditioning doesn't work, uh-uh. The air conditioning's got to be cold. We've got to have cold AC. It's a problem for us otherwise. Yeah. Well, I live near the Cape. It ain't so bad all the time here, but when right. it's warm, it's hot. Right. Especially and it's, on the highways. And, it's, and, then, and then it's also the humidity, too. Well, so, we've got plenty of that here, yeah. too. So. Yeah. All right, sir. Okay, thank you very much, Ron. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. You take good care. Um, Yeah, it's air conditioning, and air conditioning is also, now, you know, uh, Chris was up in in, in, uh, Massachusetts, Massachusetts or Maine, I forget what he said, and Mass, and different animal. Down in Florida, I wonder how that 98 Avalon would do down in Florida in terms of holding out for air conditioning for the life so long, almost 20 years. And it just supports and proves my theory that auto repair is a regional issue. And I try to keep that in mind. You know, when we sit here and we talk, I try to keep that in mind because the guy in Florida has got air conditioning on his mind. The guy in California is thinking about, oh, maybe sitting in traffic, overheating, commutes, um, dealing with different terrain. The guy in Montana is thinking about cold weather starts. The guy in Texas is, well, you get it. Auto repair is a regional phenomenon. Everybody's got their own picadillos that they're working on trying to solve when it comes to repairing and maintaining a car. But this is the real bottom line. Cars still are very, very mechanical, even with all their electronics, and they still require maintenance every once in a while. I'm Ron Aiding, the car doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the the car doctor rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. The car doctor's 24-7 number, I should point out, as I always try to, just to make you aware that if you call 855-560-9900, anytime, day or night, leave a message. There is a messaging service attached to that. You can leave a message, and our producer will call you back and uh, put you in the queue, put you in the lineup for the following week. We can talk to you live on air. Uh, that's really how we like to do it. I want to talk to you on air as much as I know some people don't like to talk on radio. Um, I, the benefit is there, and you know, that's what the show is about. But it's also there might be somebody out there with that specific problem that it helps them and lets them realize that they're not alone in trying to solve it. And um, that's sort of how we like to do things. So by all means, give us a call, leave a message, and we'll take good care of you the following week. Let's get over and talk to Gary and see what's going on here. Gary, I wonder how many people have an 04 Silverado that won't idle down. What can I do for you, kiddo? Well, that's the problem. Uh, 04 Silverado 5.3 got 
80,000 miles, and uh, it just uh, it won't idle down when you come up to a stop sign. It will after you sit there for a little while, but if you take off from a, a stop sign, for example, and you're going along and you take your foot off the gas, and it'll just keep right on running at 25, 30 miles an hour which obviously is not very safe. Yeah, no, that's not so, something you want, you know, and I'm sure there's no fault codes in this car. No, there wasn't. I I had it to my local Chevrolet dealer. Uh, the guy that worked on it is uh, actually a good friend of mine. He's a track mechanic. He put their, uh, their scope on it, didn't come up with a thing. And then I ended up talking to the service manager about it because it cost me $112 for nothing. And uh, he says, well, let me uh, do some checking. And he he called the GM uh, tech line with no help there. And then he said, I've got an 05 and an 06 myself. He went and drove both of them, and he said they both did it. Yeah, so, but <laughs> they, they, they do it to the point that they're dragging the vehicle along? Yes, yeah, it'll actually. The other day, I was uh, I was coming around the corner and <coughs> neighboring town here, and uh, it took me all the way up about about eight or ten blocks without having my foot on the gas. No, nah, that's wrong. I, I don't care what the service manager says. That's not right. There's, there's, there's. Well, he he went for a ride with me and he agreed something was wrong. Right. But he didn't know what it was, and he says. I just hate to throw parts at it, you know, at, at your expense. Right. Well, the, the two things that come to mind on that particular truck, there are two grounds that I've seen create crazy erratic problems. One's ground 104. It's on the left rear cylinder head and ground 103, which comes up at the dead middle back of the intake manifold. I've seen that wire fray. I've seen that wire be broken. I've seen all kinds of crazy issues there. Uh, and ground 103 is probably the more critical of the two, and that the PCM is looking at that uh, all the time. That's one of the main "Hey, where am I?" grounds for the PCM that it tells it what a lot of a lot of information is supplied vis-a-vis that that working properly. So I, w- I would take a look at those two grounds. The second question I've got is: Did anybody drive this when the problem occurred? And if so, where were fuel trims? Did they happen to start to look at some of the normal values to see, did fuel trims seem like they were out of whack? I'm just wondering, you know, I think it's a long shot, but we've got to look at everything. Could we possibly have an intake manifold gasket leak that's causing air to be found somewhere it's not supposed to be, and it just raises the idle speed, just as if a vacuum line fell off? Yeah, that's that's one of the things I wondered about, too, was... Uh possibility of a vacuum leak and right. and I asked them and they said no there wasn't so well what, did, what other other than plug in the tool and, and get codes that weren't there what else did they do did they did they try to analyze the data listen it's and 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 I'll and I'll I'll take exception with the one comment you know you paid $112 for nothing in a way you did but in a way you didn't because you, you do know it's there's no codes now but now it's you know, it just can't be plug and play. That's it. You're on your own. Now they've got to go to the next step. Okay, if it were mine, how would I fix it? And they've got to start to think outside the box. You know, that's that's part of what repairing cars are. That's the challenge. So my next question right. would my next question would be, where's fuel trim? Fuel trim is probably one of the greatest barometers and measurement tools 
in terms of what could possibly be wrong with the car. Does fuel trim look normal? If if we're all in agreement that the car is not supposed to do that, then something on a scan tool has to look abnormal. Has to. We, uh-huh. we had a, I'm trying to remember now, a 2008 Ford Fusion about a year and a half, almost two years ago, that had a similar problem. It, at idle, the car would idle down, and this was a drive-by-wire car, electronic throttle control, just like your 2004 Silverado. And it was that at idle, the idle speed would float between, it's supposed to idle around 650, it would come down to 650, and then all of a sudden it would creep up, 650, 700, 750, 800, 650, 700, 750, 800, 650, and it would float. And eventually over time, it got worse, that it almost hit 1,000 RPM on this progressive sweep up and down. Ran codes on it, looked at everything I could look at. Everything looked normal, no faults. Finally, uh, maybe out of just curiosity and maybe part desperation, I took the air intake duct off. It wasn't a mass airflow car. And I gently put my finger on the throttle plate and held it there. Car idled perfect. Inside the throttle plate on this Fusion, there's a spring that helps maintain... Kind of like the throttle return spring on carbureted cars from years ago. Uh-huh. And I just said to myself, I wonder if the spring got soft. I wonder if the spring is out of calibration. You know, I put a throttle body on that car, and it was fixed. And I guess my point is, it was a mechanical problem that the computer didn't have the ability to report on and see. And, you know, if you've got a car that's, will drag you down the road at 30 miles an hour for eight blocks. That's broken. And somebody's yeah. got to somebody's got to sit down and look at some of the data and not just hope for codes and and analyze this. And you know, listen, it could be grounds, it could be a throttle body issue. It could be listen, it could be a bad PCM, a computer that's 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 just baffled and confused. I'm really kind of surprised that GM tech line really said, nope, we don't have a clue. Yeah, me too. I don't I don't think in all my years of I don't think I've ever heard a man. Listen, there's an awful lot of ego that goes into this business, Gary. And I don't know too many guys on a tech line that are going to sit there and say, nope, haven't got a clue. They'd be probably telling you the same thing I'm telling you because I've called tech lines, I've worked with tech lines, and these are some of the things they've told, they've told and taught me over the years. So I would go back to that dealership and say, okay, if it was yours, how would you fix it? Are you able to analyze the data more than just waiting for the magic code to fall out of the box and say, here's the fault? Somebody's got to try something, uh, and it might be another 2004 Silverado comes in and they swap a PCM. Unfortunately, that might be what it takes just to see the end result. You might have that weird problem. All right, sir? All right. Um, so, now you said uh, ground one hundred three or right. ground one hundred four. Right. Both at the back. Then, both at the back of the engine. Correct. Okay. And then check the fuel trim. I would look at fuel trims to see what fuel trims are. Um, you've been driving a while, Gary. I can tell by the sound of your voice. Remember back in the days of carburetors. Oh yeah. Okay. And <laughs> and and if the choke was on, it ran rich. And, you you know, if, if you had a, uh, an emissions analyzer hooked up to it, it was always high hydrocarbons, high emissions. 
same idea. We can look at we can look at the electronic measurement of fuel trim to see what the computer is reporting and maybe make a decision from there. If that computer is showing a real lean condition, I'd be thinking about I'd be thinking about a vacuum leak somewhere, maybe intake manifold gaskets or or something else. But to just sit there and throw your hands up in the air and say, "Nah, there's nothing wrong with it. I can't I can't figure it out until the com- the computer sets a code." That guy doesn't want to work for a living. <laughs> All right. How do you check that fuel trim? Does it come from the? It'll come from the, the computer. Uh, it'll it'll show up on a scan tool, and it's a it's a reading. It's a measurement reading from the PCM from the main engine computer. All right, sir. Okay. If you have All any, right. If you have any questions, shoot me an email. You've got my email address, and I'll do my best to give okay. you what information I can. Good luck to you, kiddo. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Don't go away. Ron and the car doctor. Let's get over and talk to Lance, Queens, New York, with some comments on repairing cars. Lance, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Uh, you were talking uh, a couple weeks ago about uh, um, how the industry is changing as far as letting out information and uh, tools to uh, repair cars. Uh, sure. Kind yeah. of the same. Yeah, I'm a photographer and. Uh, Kind of the same thing is now happening in, in our industry, and it's happened in other industries before. Uh, as a photographer, uh, some of the big camera companies have basically stopped selling uh, parts, independent repairmen, and they no longer have the ability to repair repair cameras now. Um, this was basically because the camera companies wanted more money. Uh, they want to have the control the ability to repair cameras. Uh, they, they're getting what they wish for, uh, but now repair times are taking what used to take days are now taking weeks and months. Wow. Ouch. Uh, yeah. It, 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 this happened also in the watch industry years ago with Rolex. Uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, um, before that, actually, if you wanted to be a Rolex certified repair watchman, all you had to do was take a class. Once you passed that class, they allowed you to buy parts from them and service their watches. Uh, in the late 70s, they started buying up all the surplus parts they could, and then they shut down all the uh, all the parts accounts. So now they basically you had to go to Rolex to, to to service your watch. So what happens if you, the photographer, if Lance, the photographer, breaks his camera, and you're shooting a wedding or 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 whatever, and it takes two months to get the camera back? Lance has to buy mm-hmm. another camera. Basically, yeah, that's what it is right now. So if I can finish the story with Rolex, yeah. what basically happened with them, uh, they got what they wanted also. They controlled. They were able to control uh, watch repairs. Repairs went from weeks to months, and it even got so bad, they got so inundated that they were telling people after uh, whose watches were maybe 8 to 10 years old that their watches were ir- irreparable. Uh, what happened was the parts repair people, the, the, that's the suppliers, to the industry revolted and what they started doing was they started selling parts without the without uh insignias on there without the, any catalog numbers as generic parts to the repairmen 
and that gave them the ability to start repairing watches independently. Uh, what's happening now in the photo industry, people are starting to make knockoff parts, and what they're doing is cameras that are irreparable. They're stripping the parts and refurbishing the parts and selling them on the secondary market. Not quite what you want, but you, you really have no choice. Well, the professional. And, and I think we're seeing that now for certain with automobiles, and we're going cons- to see it actually get worse. What's going to hurt the automobile is with the electronics, uh, you know, if you can't flash that module that fit the Chevy Impala and make it fit the Chevy Corvette, then guess what? You're just you're out of luck. And it's you're going to see a major change in the way we approach automobiles. You know, cars to me are a very personal thing. Some people think of them they're and they are they're appliances. They're a toaster, but it it, it comes back to that cars are going to lose their individualness, their individualization, maybe is a better word, and they're going to have to get very generic because the cost to maintain and manufacture all these specific little modules and parts is just going to become prohibitive or we're going to go, have car companies go the way of the way Rolex went. Um, What's what's scaring me with this more than anything, uh, I I purchased a uh, 2015 Sonata uh, last year, and I really like the car. And I, what freaked me out is it started sending me reports on the car every month through my phone. Right. And I said, well, that's, that's great. It's telling me, well, my systems are working. This is great. But what's stopping, what's stopping uh, Hyundai or any other company from sending out a bullet and basically saying, okay, after uh, 172,000 miles or 13 years, um, that's it? Well, right now, the only thing, the only thing that's stopping it is is the government, and if the government ever gets mad at us, they're going to stop us all in our tracks. Lance, I appreciate the call. The clock's going to grab me. Let me uh, pull over and take a pause. You keep listening. You keep those comments coming. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. back. Ron Anini, The Car Doctor. Let's do a quick piece of email in our closing couple of minutes here. Hey, Ron, a recent radio show recommended renting a car for any substantial trip instead of using your own. This comes to us from Bob. Uh, he doesn't say from where. He cited figures. Oh, it was Clark Howard. He cited figures like 60 cents a mile to use your own car. What's your take on that? I've got to think that a lot of the 60 cents is fixed, like taxes, insurance, and that you're saving plenty by using the car you already own and insure. Thanks, Ron. Um, I'll tell you what, Bob. It's funny. The day this email came into the shop, I was standing there talking to the young man that we work with at Enterprise Rent-A-Car just down the road. And I was talking to Glenn about it. We figured it out. We did the math. That 60 cents a mile is actually a very, very viable number. And I think when you look at the cost of what it takes to purchase a new vehicle and insure it and register it and still do maintenance, renting a car to take long trips or to take the occasional weekend trip or if your car is older. And I think what uh, Mr. Howard here was talking about in reality, because I've done this myself, I drive all older vehicles. If I want to go away for, you know, out beyond the 500-mile limit, I don't feel like having to think about the car, and the car is 10, 12 years old, 15 years old, uh, for where I go, I'll rent the car. Sometimes I rent the car because I want to see what the new technology is like. 
And that's a, that's a different conversation for a different purpose. But you know what? I've got no problem with renting a car to take a substantial trip instead of using my own. It saves the wear and tear on my car. That, that 60 cents a mile number is not to be scoffed at, especially when you consider you know replacement cars today of any substance can be thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars, and that's just a barely a notch above entry level in a lot of cases. So yeah, renting a car seems to be the way to go. I'm Ron Andy in the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive; they're priceless. Yeah. 